0: Welcome to Looks Like New on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the old fashioned radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. This month, I'm really uh, grateful to have uh, as our guest Douglas Rushkoff, and he's—we're uh, going to be talking with him about the question of what is a human. What does it mean to be human? That sounds like a big and uh, kind of rude question to be asking a uh, a guest who comes to your uh, comes to your radio uh, show and your podcast. But uh, he's he's brought it on himself with uh, his newest book, which is called *Team Human*. Uh, it raises this question of what we mean by human. Uh, in the first place, all over, uh, uh, throughout the book. Now, when my grandfather started using a smartphone in recent years, I, I immediately got him a book, uh, Present Shock, by our guest here, uh, Douglas Rushkoff. Uh, for years, Doug has been one of the most clear-eyed, insightful critics of technology, a critic who also believes in the value of technology, who has felt some of its allure, who is, uh, who is involved in some of the early moments of the internet, the early sense of possibility uh, that this could be uh, uh, bring about transformations for the good. Uh, but his approach shares much with the core idea of this show that we can learn a lot when we reject the idea that new tech has nothing to do with old history and that fundamental questions haven't changed uh, as much as they might seem. And, and, and all of this, all the work he's been doing uh, for the past few decades is brought together into this new book, a manifesto uh, called Team Human. Um, it it, it uh, states its purpose on the cover, actually, before even the title. It says, our technologies, markets, and cultural institutions once forces for human connection and expression now, isolate and repress us it's time to remake society together, not as individual players but as the team we actually are team human so Doug, welcome, thank you so much for joining us. thanks for having me all right so let's uh start with this uh this word human uh here what what is Why do you choose that word? Why human as opposed to, say, person or homo sapiens? Or what is it about that word that uh, is so central to you?
1: It's interesting. I mean, part of it came from, uh, it's really two things. One was this uh, panel I was on with one of the great transhumanists. And uh, he was arguing that human beings have to pass the evolutionary torch to our digital successors, you know, that that human beings have uh, kind of overstayed our welcome, computers are more complicated than we are, and that once the singularity comes, we should accept that, you know, computers can pretty much think smarter, better, faster than we can, and that information will continue on its evolutionary ascent and leave us behind, and our our inevitable extinction should be humbly uh, accepted as our fate. And I argued, no, you know, that we deserve a place, that people are special. We can we can engage with paradox and sustain ambiguity over time. We don't need to resolve everything to a one or a zero. we We're creative and strange and anomalous and wonderful and uh, that we deserve a place in the digital future. And he said to me, oh, Rushkoff, you're just saying that because you're human, as if it was hubris. And that's when I said, OK, fine, I'm on team human. You know, guilty as charged. Um, so there was that, and so it kind of stuck. And then the other part was, um, I kept getting invited to all of these things about what they were calling digital humanities, as if the way that art and liberal arts and culture and all this kind of strange stuff that people make, um, uh, as if the, the, the way we'll stress its importance in a digital age is using digital tools to, like, count how many thou's there are in a Shakespeare tragedy versus a Shakespeare comedy, or create great mind maps or color gradi- gradients for, you know, the, the music of Bach versus the music of Mozart, you know, as if that the, the way that we would somehow elevate the arts in a digital age would be to quantize all of this stuff. And they were calling that digital humanities, that that the humanities would kind of make this argument for themselves by showing how consonant we are with the values of Silicon Valley. And I was like, look, I don't really like digital humanities. I'm into digital humanism. <laughs> in other words, what? Mm-hmm. how do we make these tools serve the human project? Um, so, yeah, it became human, almost a a... Uh, it's about our our species. I mean, Homo sapien. I guess it's it just Homo. It, it starts to get so man oriented, and uh, it felt a little. Uh, I don't know. And, and Harari's got that, that turf pretty well, pretty well staked out <laughs> too. But it was just a little bit less accessible to me. I I feel like I understand what it means to be human. You know, and human versus robot, human versus machine, human versus system, and uh, uh, it just seemed to to uh, uh, it sort of for me it conjures notions of like the human soul or human purpose or human dignity. Um, so I like it as kind of a a grounding noun for what it is I'm trying to defend.
0: And the defense is against you. Just, you said systems, technology. The the defense is against things that the human has created. Is that, is that right?
1: In a large part, yeah. It's basically, we develop these systems or abstractions, um, usually as a way of serving some human purpose, whether it's, you know, language is an abstraction of our world, and text is an abstraction, radio is an abstraction, the markets or stocks are an abstraction. And all these abstractions are sort of developed originally to serve some purpose. And then sometimes they end up, uh, we end up kind of uh, uh, surrendering our purpose to theirs. You know, we forget that they're inventions and we end up sort of conforming our world to the needs of these abstractions, the needs of these systems and platforms. So like you said in in your introduction, it's really easy for us to say, oh, well this is a problem of the digital. And so we've got to understand computers and technology to understand what's going on here. When actually it's not just a problem of the digital. The digital is just the latest system, the latest set of platforms, you know, that we're using to uh, 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 sort of uh, uh, abuse or manipulate our, our humanity rather than express or extend it.
0: So in a way, they, you're we're trying to save the human from itself. Here. The, the human is creating something that is a threat to itself.
1: Yeah, although I guess what's different in this case is unlike you know, language or automobiles or industrialism, that digital technologies do take on a life of their own. You, know, you can make a lot of automobiles and a lot of shovels, but still they only go when you get in them and drive them somewhere. Whereas you know, when you create an algorithm and tell that algorithm, please do whatever you can, whatever is necessary to make this woman spend more money, Um, That algorithm is going to continue on its little journey and it's going to develop all sorts of techniques to manipulate the women, you know, that we may not even know what they're doing. So, you know, we're we're setting something in motion that then um, continues on, you know, continues on its own. And that's kind of different about things in the digital age, whether it's nanotech or robotics or genetics or, you know, or algorithms, these things uh, uh, reshape themselves in order to achieve whatever purpose we've programmed into them.
0: And so, are you taking us back? I mean, I, I, I think, are you trying to take us back to something? To, to, for instance, human nature. Is there something about nature that 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 uh, is bound up in the human for for you? Are we going back somewhere? Are we reversing yeah, I don't course?
1: Know. I don't know if we're going back somewhere so much as retrieving something. Okay. In other words, I'm I'm more interested in bringing stuff forward that we left behind than going all the way back so you could go back to uh say and i'm sure you've talked about this a lot on your show uh uh, you can go back to uh medieval times to retrieve local currencies or to retrieve the commons it doesn't mean i want to go back to some game of thrones existence it means that i want to bring back the commons that was forcibly repressed by uh uh you know, whatever we want to call it, Protestant capitalists who were, you know, both against the church and against local economics. I want to retrieve um, uh, uh, women's rights, which were repressed around the same time when, when you know. Uh, uh, well, for a lot of reasons, women, women were considered, you know, you know scary or moon based or evil or witches, um, you know, and, and women deserve a role you know, on the modern landscape doesn't mean I'm saying we have to go back to medieval times. But that's about where, uh, it, you know, many uh, uh, women's rights and technologies were left behind.
0: OK, I think I'm getting it. And then n- now I want to move on to the word team. Um, the other element of this i want to break yeah. these the end you know, of this framing apart what do you mean by team um and do we really all have to be on the same one that sounds a bit hard
1: well the 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 big team i mean yeah i think we all have to be members of the human race you know i think we should step up you know our animals don't our plants don't but humans kind of do um And I think it's okay. I mean, if there's another team, the other team would be, I guess, the anti-humans, you know, (laughs) what's working against humanity. So, you know, you could say, okay, so there's team climate change. Um, I don't like that team. You know, there's team, uh, 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 there's team, team detention center. There's, you know, team prison camp. Um, There's team algorithm, I guess, right now. And, uh, those are those are teams that I'm I guess that I'm not on, but I see all humans as as on this as one big collective team. And we may not all get along and our issues may be different and you may have a different understanding of humanity than I do or of what rights are, of how politics works or how the economy works, but I do think we have a shared humanity. And I think that now that the world is so very connected, I do think we are going to have to achieve a collective sensibility where we realize that all of us make it or none of us make it <laughs> that, that so so yeah, I, I do see that I mean it's also the real I mean as, you, as I said before, the reason I came up with team Human was when I was accused of being on the human side, so I went fine I'm on the human side, I'm on team human but you know, the more I thought about it, the more I came to understand that being human really is a team sport. That evolution, in spite of what we've been told by our our kind of you know libertarian-influenced biology teachers in high school, um, evolution is not a battle of survival for you know between the, the individuals. It's uh uh really it's the story of how species learn to collaborate and cooperate you know amongst themselves. And with one another to assure, you know, mutual flourishing. And if we look at, you know, the the trees in the forest are sharing resources through their roots under the ground. They're not competing for sunlight. It's the ones who get the sunlight are sharing resources with the ones who aren't getting it. And when they shed their leaves, the little ones who are shaded by the canopy of the bigger trees end up sharing back um, in those winter months. So if we understand, you know, human beings as Uh, If we are on the top of some evolutionary ladder, it's really just a reflection of the extent to which we've evolved the capacity for collaboration and cooperation, you know, through language and food sharing and even the media that we use, um, then, yeah, we're a team. So when I say we're a team, it's to try to help people who believe that the object of the game is to earn enough money to insulate yourself from the rest of the world or to insulate yourself from the problems that you're creating by earning money in that way, that's a very individualist understanding of safety. Can I build tall enough walls to keep out the other ones? And it's like, that's a losing game. So if I can reframe safety and security as, no, 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 your safety, your security is going to be the extent to which you are connected with your teammates um, and and you can you know support one another then uh, I think we end up you know in a in a, a much more likely place for the sustenance of our of our civilization so if you
0: were like a sportscaster following team human uh, you have a great voice for that by the way uh, how what uh, uh, particular matches would you be following right now? What are the what are the matches that we should be paying attention to? What what if if we had uh, cards, you know, trading cards for Team Human? What would be the statistics on the back that the geeks should be paying attention to and and, and following and trying to keep track of? What should we be looking at?
1: Um. Well, I would hesitate to use metrics.
0: Oh yeah, because- sorry. That could get us you know, too much the, into, into that, that, system that system obsession, right? In a way, <laughs>
1: yeah, well, whatever number you put on the wall is going to be the number that we get. Right. So, you know, for a while, we thought GDP was a measure of wealth until we realized, oh, my gosh, it's not a measure of wealth at all. Um, it's, you know, it's a measure of, of, in some ways, environmental disaster. And, you know, if everybody gets cancer today, the GDP goes up <laughs> because we're all spending all our money on cancer cures. So... <clears throat> Uh, I, I'm I'm tricky that way. I would say, the way, the way to know if we're moving in a collectively pro-human direction, I guess would be. You know, how much time are you spending with other people in in unmediated ways? Uh, how uh, how much is a recognition of essential human dignity a part of our conversation? Uh, how do we understand school? Do we think of school as a place to train young workers for, um, for the workplace or as a place to celebrate and grow uh, uh, great, you know, uh, minds and uh, uh, to, to extend, you know, the, the, the dignity of learning? Uh, so things, I guess things like that, you know, how, how central is... The human experience and the soul, and art, and compassion, to to the way we move through our lives, and on the contrary, how uh, how successfully have we, you know, minimized the impact or the seeming reality of these, you know, competitive models that we've used to achieve certain, you know, uh, uh, market. Uh, goals
0: you're listening to looks like new we're talking with douglas rushkoff author most recently of team human now doug has offered copies of his book to the first five people who contribute more than uh, sixty dollars at uh, kgnu.org, indicating there as you contribute that you'd like a copy so please go ahead and and do that now and and uh, uh, uh get a free signed book of team human yes,
1: signed copies no less you know, and just so you know, you know, these are copies that are, I just mail, I buy them and mail them. It's not like, you know, people think, you know, some people think every time you go on the radio, you get paid even to do that. You know, <laughs> First, I'm not Nathan's not you. getting paid for this. <laughs> I'm not getting paid for this. And, and I'm sending the books myself. And it's not to sell my friggin' book. I'm sending the books to help support a live, local, terrestrial non-profit radio station. I mean, and this is... uh, It's so easy to flip your orientation towards the things in your life. In other words, if you're sick of, you know, serious FM or advertising or media properties and platforms trying to suck the life out of you, you know, there are living alternatives, but those living alternatives, I sound like a fun drive here, you those do. living alternatives is require, drive. but <laughs> they require its they, it <laughs> they require your living participation you know, and and it's true they, there was an experiment they did in the 1950s, a theater experiment, I'm a theater geek so I know all these things, um, where they charged half of the audience nothing to see the play, and half of the audience had to pay a nickel to see the play, which even in the 50s wasn't a lot of money. And whenever they did that, the half of the audience that paid the nickel had a a subjectively better experience of the play. They liked the play more. And it's not just because, oh, I spent all this money, you know, because it's not enough money to have invested, but it's because they participated at least with the nickel You know, they were part of it. And when you experience yourself as part of your local terrestrial radio station, you open yourself up. You feel much uh, uh, you don't feel guilty about opening yourself up and accepting the tremendous value that's coming back at you.
0: That's right. Well, don't take my word for it. Uh, Go to KGNU.org, contribute $60 or more and and uh, uh, and uh, have the opportunity to get a free signed book. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by the KGNU Listener members and by Quish Sustainable Wealth.
1: Okay, all you heroes out there time to pull up your bootstraps and get ready for KGNU's Honky Tonk Hero Show. That's right, each and every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 a.m., KGNU presents the finest classic country and honky-tonk music around. From Bakersfield to Austin to Nashville, we're fixin' to serve up a heapin' dose of fiddle, pedal steel, and Telecaster guitar to go with that first cup of joe. So set that dial every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. to Honky Tonk Heroes right here on your community radio station, KGNU, Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins, and KGNU.org.
0: Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. This month, we're speaking with Douglas Rushkoff, author of Team Human and many other books founder of the Laboratory for Digital Humanism at the City University of New York, Queens. And he also has a great podcast that is also called Team Human that I really recommend uh, uh, checking out if you haven't uh, already. I've been on it, but many, many more illustrious and and thoughtful, brilliant people have been on it as well. It's a a fantastic resource. Um, So with that, uh, 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 noting here your uh, educational role at the City University of New York, and you've you've talked in the in the previous segment about the the question of education, education as a metric of, of how much we are uh, uh, doing uh, justice to our humanity. What does what about education matters to you when you go into a classroom or when you uh, 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 show up at, at at your at your job at the university? What do you hope? Uh, to convey, what do you hope to be able to do as an educator?
1: I mean, I guess a lot of different things. I mean, uh, first off, I really believe in education for its own sake. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in in public education and the original goals of public education, which were, you know, compensation for the coal miner so that when he gets home after a long day in the mines, he can. Open up a novel and appreciate it or read the paper and understand the news stories and participate meaningfully in in representative democracy so uh first and foremost, I want students to come in and realize that they matter, their minds matter, their thoughts matter that we are here um, in some sense to to uh, uh, invite them to uh, celebrate and explore their 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 mind and their purpose and their reason for being here it is i admit it that 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 it sounds elitist in a way but it shouldn't every human being should have the luxury of thinking about who am i why am i here what's the history of my of my civilization <clears throat> what role do i want to play in the time that i'm going to be present on this planet that uh, you know what's my what's my place in the human story is very very real, um, you know. So so to that end, I mean, most of my courses, I'm like you, I'm I'm kind of in the media studies department, you know, and I tend to look at at everything we do uh, from sort of three really explicit levels, you know. One, uh, I want people to be able to read a text and understand. The words on the page know, what does this say? I'm going to read Neil Postman's Technopoly today or a chapter or, or three pages. <laughs> it's today's students. Read, read these three pages from Postman's Technopoly. Do you understand what it says? You know, first. Second, I want them to start to uh, be able to explore the the underlying assumptions. In other words, what is Neil Postman Assuming what is Neil Postman's sort of uh, uh, mental set, or what what is what are the what are the circumstances in which he's writing? What are the what are the assumed values that he's writing from? So we really challenge the author, challenge who's writing and where are they writing from, and then finally, what does this thing I'm reading? What does it make? Uh, what does it force me? To reconsider? What does it challenge about my own underlying assumptions? What what idols or ideas does it does it smash for me? What what does it force me to reconsider about my own worldview? And that really is the purpose of any reading or of any course that there's this material we're taught, then we have to understand the context of that material and then well what does that really mean to me and how I'm gonna move forward in this world?
0: I think I think it's crazy that something like that would be elitist right I mean think of like uh, you know the, in the early 20th century Rose Schneiderman you know former child laborer in the in the factories of the industrial revolution you know making famous this slogan uh, we want not you know not just wages but and not just bread meaning wages you know but roses too meaning time The roses too uh, as a as a central demand for the for the labor movement you know Uh, uh, And and that's it was a a fundamentally anti anti elitist uh, position saying, you know, we as workers, as as regular people want to have time that we can decide what to do with, you know, to to become fuller people.
1: You would think. But at the same time, I mean, I've had, you know, parents even say to me, look, I sent my kid to Queens College so they could get a job. And you've just made it harder for my daughter to go get a job in the advertising industry because now she's questioning the legitimacy of that whole industry. And, you know, it's fine for you as, you know, a wealthy person who's a professor and drives home to his family. It's fine for you to question all this stuff. But you making her question is not serving her in her in the necessary goal for her to be able to, you know... Hold her nose if necessary and take a regular working class job at an ad agency.
0: So, what's your answer to that?
1: Um, Well, it's a hard one. You know, I mean, uh, my answer to that is uh, her critical faculties were innate anyway. And if she's going to be in this place subconsciously knowing that she's contributing to, you know, making kids smoke jewel cigarettes or numbing their minds and getting them addicted to Facebook and all that, then she's going to have to cope with it in whatever way she does. She's going to drink. Her marriage will suffer. She all she's going to be a dissatisfied human being, whereas if she can at least go walk into these these worlds with her eyes open and think, well, look, every single meeting that I go into, every single uh, planning session, I can be aware of what is the ethical line that we shouldn't be crossing. I can influence this I can you know steer this company towards something that that I can live with um, she's empowered to do that uh, and and frankly there's no job waiting for these kids anyway you know <laughs> you know if if anything what's going to make them more uh economically resilient and self sufficient is going to be a clear headed understanding of this landscape how this landscape works and what these employers want from from their from their workers rather than to just kind of put blinders on and learn these these you know uh today's uh, data entry tasks well
0: education it seems to me, has always been a gambit you know on the it, it's always this this kind of paradox between on the one hand trying to persuade the society around it with its cynical short termism that this kind of thing is useful, and then on the other hand, kind of trying to create space that subverts that whole logic you know and it, this seems to me an old challenge, but it 's something that we are certainly facing with a kind of renewed urgency right now. Yeah,
1: and and in some ways because because we have to. I mean, it is interesting that you know when when kids in Europe or the U.S. want to do something about climate change, they walk out of school. You know, that <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of sad to me. And then they get accused, like Theresa May accused the kids of being lazy. Oh, they're leaving school because they don't want to work. And it's like, honey, uh, uh school wasn't about work anyway. You know, school should be about exploration. It's it's they're actually leaving school to do the hard work of of addressing uh uh our our global problems.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let, let's take this back to, to to technology again. You know, when you think about the the you know, the games that team human is playing right now, um what kind of playbook do you have in mind? You know, what kind of playbook should we be maybe educating ourselves for? Do you think of this the, the, the challenges of, of, of protecting what is important about human as as primarily a kind of micro set of micro strategies, meaning things like, you know, how we relate to technology, how we, how we relate to each other with, you know, whether we put away our phones at the dinner table or something like that. Or do you think of it as more importantly, a macro question like policy around big tech companies? Is that what we should be focusing on? Is that what we should be educating ourselves about and learning uh, 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 to prepare for? You know, what kind of game plan do you think will serve Team Human uh, uh, best?
1: I mean, it's interesting. I mean, my, my previous, you know, four or five books were way more about, like, policy and business plans and you know, what we can do. So, okay, if we're in a growth-based extractive economy, I'd looked at the tax code and said, okay, what if we reverse the capital gains tax with the dividends tax? So instead of rewarding companies for growing larger and punishing them for earning revenue, which we do, you know. What if we made it the opposite? What if we, you know, made it so people want to get lots of dividends on their stocks and they don't want to see the companies grow by, by, you know, changing the tax code or, you know, advice to founders of companies explaining, well, look, you actually don't want to have the largest valuation because then you're going to have to pay back a hundred times, you know, that valuation to these investors. What you want is the smallest valuation possible and to take as little money as you can from investors so that you can keep the company doing the thing you want to do and not have to pivot like Facebook does, you know, to become a big evil behemoth instead of some kind of social network. So I feel like I, I spent a bunch of books giving the practical, here's what you can actually do. But, you know, for the most part, you know, those, those. I guess those specific recommendations end up getting twisted or bastardized or compromised, you know, into uh, ideas that just help companies keep doing what they're doing and make some little nod to, you know, universal basic income or, you know, some nice, you know, fake cooperative strategy. And I, I, I wrote Team Human to look more at, well, what can we do on almost a behavioral, spiritual, ideological uh. uh uh, almost on the level of consciousness, uh, uh, to to affect the kind of change that we want. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, uh, while I still do, you know, I'm advocating even in the book, advocate for the commons and platform cooperatives. Um, I'm looking more at rather than how do we readjust the systems themselves to be more accommodating of humans. I'm thinking, how do we increase our immune response? As a culture and as individuals, how do we, you know, strengthen our vitality? It's kind of like, you know, looking at the problem less from the perspective of an allopathic doctor who's going to attack the disease with antibiotics and more like some holistic doctor who wants to increase the vitality of the organism so it fights off the disease or or is less, you know, is just more resistant to these, you know, ridiculous uh, uh, systems and diseases. So I'm looking at how do we re-socialize? How do we help people learn to look in one one another's eyes again? How do we help um, young people celebrate who they are rather than throw iPads in their hands and tell them to, you know, uh, do better on the next assessment of their math ability? So how do we help people find, you know, find the others and engage meaningfully with
0: them? how much does that involve retreating from technology to you as opposed to going in? I mean, you wrote a book, uh, an earlier book called uh, Program or Be Programmed, right? And, and, uh, and you reference that a little bit here, too, um, where you're encouraging people to go into technology in order to keep it from um, uh, uh, essentially dehumanizing us, which is different from that common Refrain we hear, which is you know the way to save ourselves from technology is to you know turn off our, our phones on weekends or something like that. You know that it's a it's a refusal that we need to make. At, at this point, have you turned more to the refusal direction, or are you still uh, do you still believe that we need to kind of enter more deeply into how we do technology?
1: Well, you can you can't. No amount of refusing is gonna matter if you still go back on that device and don't know what it is. You know, my my programmer you programmed was was less about, oh, you've gotta know how to do C and JavaScript if you're gonna be on a device than the sort of the simple axiom of, you know, if you don't know what a piece of technology is for, then chances are it's using you more than you're using it. You know, so if we know from the outset that this, every time you swipe on your you swipe on your smartphone, it's getting smarter about you. It and all the companies behind it are getting smarter about you, while you're getting dumber about it. You know, if you don't know what it's doing, if you don't know what it's for, if you don't even know, and I used to give this talk, you know, back in 2005 or something, you know, called Facebook is not your friend. And it was always in colleges. And I would say, I would start out and I would ask them, do you know what Facebook's for? And they'd all raise their hands. Yes, Facebook's here to help me, you know, make friends or to help me maintain my friendships or to, you know, know who's in my world and not. And I'm like, dude, you know, they're not sitting in the In the conference room at Facebook thinking, how am I going to help Johnny, you know, maintain his friendships? They're thinking, how are we going to monetize Johnny's social graph? And once you see what's going on, what Facebook is, you know, as as Shoshana Zuboff has, has documented, and we've all been arguing for the last decade, that Facebook is a surveillance technology. It's here to find out what you've done in order to lump you into a statistical category and then use hypnosis and mind control techniques to get you to behave more consistently with your consumer profile. So do you have to know how to program to do that no but you have to know what this platform is programmed to do um in order not to be i would say not to be subjected to its uh uh its biases
0: you're listening to looks like new we're speaking with douglas rushkoff author of team human stick with us and we'll be right back KGNU, 88.5 FM, 1390 AM, Boulder, Denver, 98.7 FM in Fort Collins, 93.7 FM in Nederland, 99.1 FM in Denver, and online at KGNU.org and AfterFM.com. Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. This month, we're speaking with Douglas Rushkoff, author of Team Human and many other books. Now, Doug has generously offered uh, five copies of his book to the first five people who contribute, signed copies uh, uh, of his book straight from him, uh, uh, for people who contribute more than sixty dollars uh, to kgnu at KGNU.org. dot org, indicate as you contribute uh, in the comment field that that uh, you'd like uh, a copy of the book. And the first five people who do that will get one. Uh, thank you so much for doing that, Doug, and and uh, uh, thanks for joining us again.
1: It's a pleasure. You know, it's interesting. We were just talking about um, sort of the difference between the. Uh, Media literacy, do we just understand how to program this stuff better in order to to have a good defense, or do we just get off the stuff? And I'd have to admit that in, in this latest book, I'm arguing pretty much less about understanding the tech than making the tech less central and making other people more central. And, and you know, really since 1998, when I wrote an article for AdBusters called The Sabbath Revolt, I've really been arguing that people... Take the time to withdraw. You know, the Sabbath was such a great invention, a one-seventh rule, one-seventh of your time. You're not going to spend, you know, immersed in the market, in production and consumption and technology. And I'm going to celebrate instead the fact that I am sacred just the way I am, that I come in you know, with an essential amount of dignity, that, that Mr. Rogers is right, and that we are special just the way we are. You know, I think people really do need to touch that, that transcendent quality of human existence um, in order to make it through this next uh, period of our civilization.
0: Now, who, who are you trying to convince of any of this? When you were writing this book, uh, uh, who was on, on your mind? um really
1: in some sense everybody um you know uh i suppose for the most part my audience is more the kind of the progressive uh you know progressive college educated people who are deeply confused about what's happening. People who were shocked and disillusioned by the election of Trump, who can't help but retweet when they see some kid in a MAGA hat facing off with an Indian, you know, uh, or Native American, and they think, oh my God, look at this, look at this terrible kid, you know, and the, the ones who retweet everything that, you know, some right wing white nationalist tweets because they're so horrified. I think it's really to tell them, look, dudes, you know, you're all behaving on automatic. You are as much the problem as any of the people that you're upset about. You've been reduced to your brainstem and it's time to slow down and and start thinking about what you're doing and learn. You know, that all these people you you are looking down on, they're human beings too. And you've got to figure out, you know, just as you're afraid of them and you get so horrified by a weird tweet, they're afraid of you and horrified by your tweets. And and maybe it's not those other people that are the problem, but the medium that we're using to understand each other.
0: So, you know... I hope this doesn't sound ageist here. You know, this is, this is one of our, our new anxieties, right? Uh, and, an, and an important one. But how much of this is, is age speaking for you? You've been at this for longer than most people blabbing about tech uh, uh, around now. How much of this is, feels like it's coming out of just the length of experience that you've had uh, engaging with you know, society and the internet? maybe even kind of hormonal shifts. I mean, how much of this is, is a kind of, uh, uh, is, 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 a, is an experience out of that, out of the, just the time that you've been doing this?
1: The, the scholarship or rationale behind it might be, you know, some songs of experience here. But, you know, when I see that the, the Danish girl, who, what is she, 14 years old? you know, going up about climate change. And uh, where does she get it mm-hmm. from then? You know, did she read, you know, uh, does she know what a Spenserian sonnet is? Or uh, uh, did, she, did she study the transition from medieval to Renaissance economics? Or did she read all the volumes of Marx or just one or none? Um, so no, I think if anything, um, uh, this is a a uh, i've pushed all the way back to my original sensibility you know this is the the right now i'm writing the way i used to write in 1991 Mm -hmm. you know except with you know with a bunch of adorno and horkheimer and (laughs) under my belt to know that oh my gosh i mean yeah they were they were right um but but the, the, the advantage of, the, of age is that I can articulate what people are feeling who may not have the experience in writing or thinking or philosophy to be able to articulate what's wrong with it, that I can bring a certain intellectual rigor to the analysis of a situation so that I can say, oh, OK, I get that we all have the intuition that something's messed up here. This is what's messed up. And here's the theorist who explained how that happens. Here's three examples in history and one from the Bible of this particular stripe of messed upness, um, you know, which, which helps make our case. But um, it's really only necessary in convincing the friggin' New York Times, talk about elites, the New York Times elites, that this is right, that it's not too good to be true that human beings can band together, that we can reestablish rapport, forge solidarity, and build the kind of civilization we want, that we don't have to sit and, and, you know, uh, and, 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 and you know, grit our teeth at every new revelation about the the Russia conspiracy, you know, that there's bigger problems and easier
0: solutions. So you, you just mentioned a word I wanted to ask you about also, which is solidarity. Uh, you know, one thing I've been I've been noticing you know, what, re-digesting all of the the kind of classic children's cartoons from the '50s and '60s and '70s uh, that came out in the United States with my with my small children is is how much they emphasize and how anxious they are about um, kind of a flip side of solidarity. They're so much focused on what seems to be a very um, uh, 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 you know, radical affirmation of individuality, uniqueness, you know, uh, discovering your, yourself. R- Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know, the original old movie created by a corporation, you know, to sell stuff, um, uh, you know, is all about uh, uh, rec- rejecting uh, conformity and embracing your individual destiny, right? And, and so th- we've been taught that for so long it's hard to even know what solidarity could mean. That's that's the word I'm I'm curious about. What is what does solidarity mean to you in a context, especially where we have been taught the importance of just being yourself for so long?
1: Um. It's interesting. On on one level. It's uh uh it's positive, you know that you matter that Mister Rogers sensibility is is real and important you know the free to be you and me i guess is the 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 marlo thomas rosie greer album you're referring to there um yeah uh i i don't i don't reject that but the problem is that that late 60s early 70s sensibility that you as an individual child matter it dovetailed too conveniently with the strident individualism of a consumer culture of you deserve a break today you you're the one um you know you should have your own lawnmower and your own snowblower and your own automobile and your own fence and your own barbecue and the the way that we used television to program uh Ownership of stuff, as the expression and and reinforcement of your personal identity, is where we went off track. You know, the free to be you and me means I'm free to be me, with all of you. Not free to be me on my back porch. It's free to be me on my front porch. You know, it's free to be me at the party. Uh, uh, free to be me at the prom. Um, so. You know, it's funny. It's why it, uh, I've got the uh, the the slogan on the back of this book is "Find the others," and I really mean that as the first step towards you know establish rapport, and then you get to solidarity. But you, the 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 heightened individualism, the fact that the, we understand mad to matter means to matter as an individual alone that I matter because my Amazon knows who I am because my phone is mine and it's exactly the way I want. I found my affinity group. Um, that's very alienating and isolating. You know, that's, you know, uh, uh, Ellie Pariser's, uh, or Eli Pariser's, uh, 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 filter bubble, you know, the, the acknowledgement of who you are by all these algorithms telling you, yes, you matter. Yes, you matter. It, it's you matter alone and what we have to move move toward is mattering with one another and caring about one another and that's a whole different level of of uh sort of personal expression.
0: You now, i one thing that struck me i think it was it, it tucked in the in the in the book in the back was the that find the others came from Timothy Leary. Is that was am i getting that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, people probably said it before him, but, you know, find the others is this kind of bumper sticker idea came from him. He was um, doing a talk at Berkeley in 1968, and some young woman got up who had just had a psychedelic experience, and she said, you know, I've, I've seen the truth about the way the whole world's connected, and we're all one. What do I do now? And he said, find the others. And I get it. What he meant was find the others who've had that experience so you can, you know, commune with them. And I think that's a great first step. But what I'm really arguing is no, 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 find the others, the real others, the ones, you know, the kid under the MAGA hat who you think is different from you. You know, if you can't see the humanity in the person wearing the MAGA hat, then how do you expect the MAGA hat person to see the humanity in the Mexican? Immigrant on the other side of the wall, you know. So it does. It, it does involve being able to see your adversaries as human. And right now, we're using platforms that not just by happenstance, but platforms that by design teach us to see other people as adversaries, to be opposed, to be alienated, to. Respond like little reptiles from the brainstem with fight or flight, enemy, eat or be eaten. Um, I should talk, program or be programmed, right? Um, but that that eat or be eaten uh, 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 dichotomy is is not going to help us see one see one another as people.
0: So, so you, and, you're seeing the other as like the other, in that capitalized sense, the 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 people right. who you are are inclined to dehumanize. Yes. Yeah, there, there's this this crazy notion that's been stuck in my head for 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 years that Eric Erickson, the the uh, uh, psychologist, used this notion of subspeciation, the 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 way in which in which human beings seem to have this need to um, uh, to see others as as being of a different species, actually. Um, and and that we, some of our belief systems are structured in a way, you know, like our language games on the right and left, you know, where we, we seem to be uh, 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 programming ourselves to use language in a way that's going to piss off the other side, right? You know, it's almost intended for that purpose. You know, we learn how to be politically correct in order to make sure that if anybody who is on the other side of a divide hears us, they get really upset. You know, they're they're triggered in some way by something that we're saying. Um, uh, it's almost like we're are you know that that's part of our humanity to to need to be able to see people who are more like us than we think um, as something radically different.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's sort of the argument that that Howard Bloom made in the Lucifer principle that you know from the earliest species that we ever were, you know, the red sponges will fight the yellow sponges to the death, no matter what, just because those other ones are yellow. And, you know, and that human beings can have that, that you know, kind of tribal, uh, warring sort of sensibility. But we don't have to either. I mean, we're also conscious beings. You know, first, I don't buy the history of uh, that, you know, the, the Homo sapiens or Neanderthals or whatever. We're always just, you know, marauding each other with rocks and stuff. There was a lot of cooperation going on between nomadic tribes. It wasn't really until we became sedentary that we started to defend territory from one another. You know, when nomadic tribes passed each other in the ancient, ancient times from all the evidence we have, they would trade stuff. They'd even trade people. They would trade their kids. You know, you'd give up your kids when they were seven, eight years old because you wanted to mix your genes with other people. So you didn't even... You know, you didn't even think of your family that way. You didn't think of, I'm going to save up enough money so I'd have an inheritance for my child. You don't even know who your kids are. You know, <laughs> you don't even care. You get other ones' kids. I mean, so, you know, the, 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 the switch from, from nomad to sedentary, from friend to kin, um, all of these were, were, you know, you could make, easily make the argument that these tribal sensibilities were later, in our evolution rather than earlier, and they may be temporary, you know, and even now, you know, I look at, at nation states as these kind of artificial, you know, boundary distinctions between people and city states as something very different. City states is these kind of organic amalgamations of, of humans.
0: Okay. So so just to wrap up here, let's go back to that, um, to that question uh, uh, asked to Timothy Leary that you mentioned, you know, what, what do people do next? What is the, what is the first step for somebody who has had the psychedelic experience, who's recognized that they want to be part of team human? Uh, where do you recommend they begin?
1: Um, well, how, if you live with somebody, find out who they are. (laughs) I mean, I mean, seriously, uh, um, start to meet some people around, try to, Um, You know, especially when you're in public, you know, go off your device and look around, see who's there, get to know your neighbors, um, offer favors, accept favors from other people. um, Find out who else is in your workplace and, you know, try to engage with them as humans. Um, You know, it's kind of it's kind of super simple on 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 a certain level. I mean, there's the, the practical things, you know, like looking at work or ownership of your business and platform cooperativism, um, you know, stop responding to memes on, on, on the internet, um, start to celebrate the weirder anomalous things about you. Um, think before you pick up a technology. I mean, as long as we're talking about drugs, I mean, remember that every one of the technologies, every one of the media that you use are drugs. You know, are you on Facebook? Are you on Twitter? Are you on the Internet? You know, th- it's, you're on something. So think back to, to you know, when people used to take, you know, vows of silence for a month, you know, those those monks in the monastery. Why are they doing that? Are they doing that for ego because they're not going to speak? No, they're doing it because they know that their mind, that their consciousness on English or on whatever language they speak is different than it is when it's not on language. So what is that like? So if you think about every time you pick up one of these things, I'm now going to alter my consciousness with this phone. I'm going to go into a different state. Um, just to become aware of it um, is sort of the first step towards reacquainting with uh, what I might call the natural mind or your, your, your social mind, you know, before you pick up an intentionally desocializing, alienating technology. But spend, you know, if you can, 10 minutes a week, not online, just to start 10 minutes, just consciously not using a device and then see if you can get that up to even 10 minutes a day. Find someone else to be with for half an hour. And just be with them, or look in their eyes, or hang out. You know, so it's sort of these first baby steps. Once a person is kind of reacquainted with that social reality, it ends up being really. Um, uh, it grows. You kind of can't stop it. Then you start looking for experiences. Where can I be with people? Where's there acoustic music? Where's there a park in my town? How can I see some nature? Where are there people that want to just talk or hang out or play cards? And and, you know, it, it's really infectious. And then as you do it, then other people in your life are asking, wait a minute, what are you doing? You're just hanging out with somebody. What is this? What is that like? Um, and, and, you know, and then you end up then what happens? Well, then you're not spending as much money. So then the market that the companies that you've been that you've been supporting with all of these crazy uh, uh, obsessive uh, purchases, they end up kind of shrinking. But just by matter of course.
0: Well, thank you, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me. And also, of course, listen to terrestrial radio. You know, it's one of the most intimate (laughs) media. Think about how more intimate uh, terrestrial radio is than television. You know, we are not it's like it's all about just moving. We're just moving. Stuff, especially if you're listening through a speaker rather than just your little earphones, we're moving their bodies with our voices. You know what I mean? They're resonating with us. This is this is a whole weird thing going on right now um, between the between the three of us, you, me, and whatever listener is is still listening to this. <laughs> We're having an encounter and it's real and it's and it's analog in in many ways. Well, no
0: better place to start than KGNU and and Doug has offered copies of his book for the first 5 people who contribute more than $60 at kgnu.org indicating as you do in the comment box that you'd like a copy. Uh uh you've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. It looks like new is a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab. You can find out more about our work at cmci.colorado.edu medlab If you've liked what you'd heard, uh, please spread the word about this show and consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts if that's how you're hearing, uh, hearing us today. I'd also love to hear from you with comments and guest ideas. You can reach me at medlab at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us next month.